Chapter Two of Agnes Sorrel by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two. There was a small square room of a very plain, unostentatious appearance in the turret of a tall house in the city of Paris. The walls were of hewn stone, without any decoration whatever, except where at the four sides and nearly at the centre of each appeared a long iron arm or branch with a socket at the end of it curved and twisted in a somewhat elaborate manner and bearing some traces of having been gilt in a former day the ceiling was much more decorated than the walls and was formed by two groined arches of stonework crossing each other in the middle and thus forming as it were four pointed arches the intervals between one mass of stonework and another being filled up with dark-coloured oak much after the fashion of a cap in a coronet the spot where the arches crossed was ornamented with a richly carved pendant or corbel in the centre of which was embedded a massive iron hook probably intended to sustain a large lamp while the iron sockets protruding from the walls were destined for flambeaux or lanterns the floor was of stone and a rude mat of rushes was spread over about one-eighth of the surface toward the middle of the room where stood a table of no very large dimensions covered with a great pile of papers and a few manuscript books no flame hung from the ceiling no lantern or flambeau cast its light from the walls as had undoubtedly been the case in earlier times the tall quaint-shaped window besides being unencumbered by a rich tracery of stonework could not admit even the moonbeams through the thick coat of dust that covered its panes and the only light which that room received was afforded by a dull oil lamp upon the table without glass or shade all the furniture looked dry and withered as it were as though solid enough being bulkily formed of dark oak presented no ornament whatever it was in short an uncomfortable looking apartment enough having a ruinous and dilapidated appearance without any of the picturesqueness of decay under the table lay a large brindled rough-haired dog of the staghound breed but cruelly docked of his tail in accordance with some code of forest laws which at that time were very numerous and very various in different parts of france but all equally unjust and severe apparently he was sound asleep as dog could be but we all know that a dog's sleep is not as profound as a metaphysician's dream and from time to time he would raise his head a little from his crossed paws and look slightly up towards the legs of a person seated at the table now those legs to begin the unusual end of a portrait were exceedingly handsome well-shaped legs indeed evidently appertaining to a young man on the flowery side of maturity there was none of the delicate rather unsymmetrical straightness of the mere boy about them nor the over-stout balustrade-like contour of the sturdy man of middle age nor did the rest of the figure belie their promise for it was in all respects a good one though somewhat lightly formed except the shoulders indeed which were broad and powerful and the chest 
which was wide and expansive. The face was good, though not strictly handsome, and the expression was frank and bright, yet with a certain air of steady determination in it, which is generally conferred by the experience of more numerous years than seemed to have passed over that young and unwrinkled brow. The dress of the young scribe, for he was writing busily, was in itself plain, though not without evident traces of care and attention in its device and adjustment. The shoes were extravagantly long, and drawn out to a very acute point, and the grey sort of mantle with short sleeves which he wore over his ordinary hose and jerkin had, at the collar and at the end of those short sleeves, a little strip of fur, a mark, possibly, of gentle birth, for sumptuary laws, always ineffectual, were issued from time to time during all the earlier periods of the French monarchy, and generally broken as soon as issued. There was no trace of beard upon his chin. The upper lip itself was destitute of the manly moustache, and the hair, combed back from the forehead, and lying in smooth and glossy curls upon the back of the neck, gave the appearance almost feminine to the head, which was beautifully set upon the shoulders. The broad chest already mentioned, however, the long sinewy arms and the strong brown hand which held the pen, forbade all suspicion that the young writer was a fair lady in disguise, although that was a period in the world's history when the dames of France were not over-scrupulous in assuming any character which might suit their purposes for the time. There was a good deal of noise and bustle in the streets of Paris, as men with flambeaux in their hands walked on before some great lord of the court, calling, Place! Place! to clear the way for their master as he passed, or as a merry party of citizens returned, laughing and jesting, from some gay meeting, or as a group of night-ramblers walked along, insulting the ear of night with cries, and often with blasphemies or as lays and songs were trolled up from the corners of the streets by knots of persons, probably destitute of any other home, assembled round large bonfires, lighted to give warmth to the shivering poor, for it was early in the winter of the great frost of one thousand four hundred and seven, and the miseries of the land were great. Still the predominant sounds were those of joy and revelry, for the people of Paris were the same in those days that they are even now, and joy, festivity, and frolic, then, as in our own days, rolled and carolled along the highways, while the dust was yet wet with blood, and wretchedness, destitution, and oppression lurked unseen behind the walls. No sounds, however, seemed to disturb the lad at his task, or to withdraw his thoughts for one moment from the subject before him. Now a loud peal of laughter shook the casement, but still he wrote on. Now a cry, as if of pain, rang round the room from without, but such cries were common in those days, and he lifted not his head. And then again a plaintive song floated on the air, broken only by the striking of a clock, jarring discordantly with the mellow notes of the air, but still the pen hurried rapidly over the page, till some minutes after the hour of nine had struck, when he laid it down with a deep respiration, as if some allotted task were ended. At length the dog, which was lying at his feet, lifted his head suddenly, 
and gazed toward the door the youth was reading over what he had written and caught no sound to withdraw his attention but the beast was right there was a step a familiar step upon the staircase and the good dog rose up and walked towards the entrance of the room just as the door was opened and another personage entered upon the scene he was a grave man of the middle age tall well formed and of a noble and commanding presence he was dressed principally in black velvet with a gown of that stuff which was lined with fur indeed though none of that lining was shown externally on his head he had a small velvet cap without any feather and his hair was somewhat sprinkled with grey though in all probability he had not passed the age of forty well jean he said in a deliberate tone as he entered the room with a firm and quiet tread how many have you done my son all of them sir replied the young man i was just reading over this last letter to signor bernardo baldi to see that i had made no mistake you never mistake jean said the elder man in a kindly tone and then added thoughtfully all you must have written hard and diligently you told me to have them ready against you returned sir said the youth yes but i have returned an hour before the time rejoined his elder companion and then as the young man moved away from the chair which he occupied in order to leave it vacant for himself the elder drew near the table and still standing glanced his eye over some six or seven letters which lay freshly written and yet unfolded it was evident however that though by a process not uncommon the mind might take in and even investigate to a certain degree all that the eye rested upon a large part of the thoughts were engaged with other subjects and that deeper interests divided the attention of the reader there should be a comma there he said pointing with his finger and at the same time seating himself in the chair the young man took the letter and added the comma but when he looked up his companion's eyes were fixed upon the matting on the floor and it was apparent that the letters and all they contained had passed away from his memory the dog rose from the couchant attitude in which he had placed himself and laid his shaggy head upon the elder man's knee and patting him quietly the newcomer said in a meditative tone it is pleasant to have some one we can trust don't you think so jean it is indeed sir replied the young man and pleasant to be trusted and yet we must sometimes part with those we most trust continued the other it is sad but sometimes it is necessary the young man's countenance fell a little but he made no reply and the other looking toward the wide fireplace remarked you have let the fire go out jean and these are not days in which one can afford to be without warmth the young man gathered the embers together threw on some logs of wood and both he and his companion mused for several minutes without speaking a word at length the youth seemed to summon sudden courage and said abruptly i hope you are not thinking of parting with me sir i have endeavoured to the utmost to do my duty toward you well and you have never had occasion to find fault though perhaps your kindness may have prevented you from doing so even when there was occasion not so not so my son replied the other warmly 
there has been no fault and consequently no blame nay more i promise you if you fulfilled all the tasks i set you well never to part with you but for your own advantage the time has come however when it is necessary to part with you and i must do so for your own sake there was dead silence for a moment or two and then the elder man laid his finger quietly on the narrow strip of fur that bordered his companion's dress saying with a slight smile you are of noble blood jean and i am a mere bourgeois i can easily strip that off if it offends you sir replied the young man giving him back his smile it is soon done away but not the noble blood jean answered his companion and this occupation is not fitted for you an air of deep and anxious grief spread over the young man's face and he answered earnestly there is nothing derogatory in it sir to write your letters to transact an honourable business which you may entrust to me cannot in any way degrade me and you know right well that it was from no base or ignoble motive that i undertook the task my mother's poverty is no stain upon our honourable blood nor surely can her son's efforts be so to change that poverty into competence his companion smiled upon him kindly saying far from it jean but still if there be an opportunity of your effecting your object in a course more consonant with your birth and station it is my duty as your friend to seize it for you such an opportunity now presents itself and you must take advantage of it it may turn out well i trust it will but should the reverse be the case for in these strange unsettled times those who stand the highest have most to fear a fall if the reverse should be the case i say you will always find a resource in jacques coeur his house his purse his confidence will be always open to you put on your chaperon then and come with me for fortune like time should always be taken by the forelock the jade is sure to kick if we get behind her the young man took down one of the large hoods in which it was still customary for the bourgeoisie especially to envelop their heads when walking in the streets of paris beneath it however he placed a small cap fitting merely the crown of the head and over the sort of tunic he wore he cast a long mantle for the weather was very cold when fully accoutred he ventured to ask where maitre coeur was going to take him but the good merchant answered with a smile never mind my son never mind if we succeed as i expect you will soon know if not there is no need you should come with me jean and trust to me right willingly replied the young man and followed him the house was a large and handsome house as things went at that time in paris but the staircase was merely one of those narrow twisting spirals which we rarely see except in cathedrals or ruined castles in the present times windows to that staircase there were none and in the daytime the manifold steps received light only through a loophole here and there for in those days it was not at all inconvenient for the owner even of a very modest mansion to have the means of ascending and descending from one part of his house to the other without the danger of being struck by the arrows which were flying somewhat too frequently in the streets of paris 
At night, a lantern guarded by plates of horn from the cold blast through the loopholes shed a faint and twinkling ray at intervals of ten or twelve yards upon the steps. But Jacques Coeur and his young companion were both well acquainted with the way, and were soon at the little door which opened into the courtyard. Jean Charost looked round for the merchant's mule as they issued forth, but no mule was there, nor any attendant in waiting, and Jacques Coeur, drawing his cloak more tightly around him, walked straight out of the gates and along the narrow streets, unlighted by anything but the pale stars shining dimly in the wintry sky. The merchant walked fast, and Jean Charost walked a step behind, not without some curiosity, not without some of that palpitating anxiety which, with the young, generally precedes an unexpected change of life, yet with a degree, at least, of external calmness, which nothing but very early discipline in the hard school of the world could give. It seemed to him, indeed, that his companion intended to traverse the whole city of Paris, for directing his course toward the quarter of Saint-Antoine, he paused not during some twenty minutes, except upon one occasion when, just as they were entering one of the principal streets, half a dozen men carrying torches came rapidly along, followed by two or three on horseback and several on foot. Jacques Coeur drew back into the shadow and brought his cloak closer round him. But the moment the cavalcade had passed, he walked on again, saying in a whisper, "'That is the Marquis de Giac, a favourite of the Duke of Burgundy, or rather the husband of the Duke's favourite. He owes me a thousand crowns, and consequently loves not to see me in his way.' Five minutes more brought them to a large stone wall, having two towers, almost like those of a church, one at either end, and a great gate with a wicket near the centre. Monasteries were more common than beehives in Paris in those days, and Jean Charost would have taken no notice of the wall, or of a large, dull-looking building rising up behind it, had it not been that a tall man, clad apparently in a long grey gown, rushed suddenly up to the gate, just as the two men were passing, and rang the bell violently. He seemed to hold something carefully on his left arm, but his air was wild and hurried, and Jacques Coeur murmured as they passed, Alas, alas, tis all the same all over the world. Jean Charost did not venture to ask the meaning of his comment, but looked up and marked the building well, following still upon the merchant's rapid steps and a short distance further on the great towers of the Bastille came in sight, looking over the lesser buildings in the front. Before they reached the open space around the fortress, however, the street expanded considerably, and at its widest point appeared upon the left a large and massive edifice, surrounded by walls of heavy masonry, battlemented and machicolated, with four small flanking towers at the corners. In the centre of this wall, as in the case of the monastery, was a large gateway. But the aspect of this entrance was very different from that of the entrance to the religious building. Here was an archway with battlements above, and windows in the monastery looking out on the street. A parapeted gallery, too, of stonework, from which a porter or warden could speak with anyone applying for admission, without opening the gate, ran along just above the arch. 
no great precaution however seemed to be in force at the moment of jacques coeur's approach the gate was open though not unguarded for two men partly armed were lolling at the entrance notwithstanding the coldness of the night behind the massy chains too which ran along the whole front line of the wall solidly riveted into strong stone posts cutting off a path of about five feet in width from the street were eight or nine men and young lads some well armed almost as if for war and some dressed in gay and glittering apparel of a softer texture the night as i have said was in sooth very cold but yet the air before the building received some artificial warmth from a long line of torches blazing high in iron sockets projecting from the walls which looked grim and frowning in the glare at the gates jacques coeur stopped short and let his mantle fall a little so as to show his face one of the men under the arch stared at him and took a step forward as if to inquire his business but the other nodded his head saying good evening again maitre jacques pass in you will find guillot at the door come jean said jacques coeur turning to his young companion and passing under the arch they entered a small piece of ground laid out apparently as a garden for the light of some lanterns scattered here and there showed a number of trees planted in even rows in the midst of which rose a palace of a much lighter and more graceful style of architecture than the stern and heavy-looking defences on the street could have led any one to expect a flight of steps led up from the garden to a deep sort of open entrance hall where a light was burning showing a door of no very great size surrounded with innumerable delicate mouldings of stone to the door was fastened by a chain a large heavy iron ring deeply notched all along the internal circle and by its side hung a small bar of steel which when run rapidly over these notches produced a loud sound not altogether unmusical to this instrument of sound jacques coeur applied himself and the door was immediately opened from within come in maitre jacques said a man of almost gigantic height come in the duke is waiting for you in the little hall End of chapter 2